70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Уважаемые сотрудники и радиослушатели KBS World Radio, меня зовут Роман Новиков, я из России. Hello to the staff members and the listeners of KBS World Radio. My name is Roman Novikov, and I live in Russia. My favorite radio station is celebrating its 70th anniversary. This year is a special one for me personally as well, because it's been exactly 30 years since I started to listen to KBS World Radio. It taught me so much about Korea. We didn't have the internet back then, and KBS World Radio was the only way for me to learn many interesting facts about Korea. I've been an official monitor for the Russian service for quite a while now, and I happily plan on tuning in for many years to come. I wish everyone at KBS World Radio health and success. Thank you for your hard work. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It's Friday, the 15th of December. Welcome to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. I'm Ku Hee-jin, filling in for Kwon Jamo. South Korea says North Korea may launch an intercontinental ballistic missile this month. We'll have more in our news briefing shortly. And for our in-depth today, we focus on shrinkflation, by which companies reduce product volume and maintain prices, which has irked consumers. And later for Movie Spotlight, we talk about Living, a remake of a classic Kurosawa flick and a Korean independent movie, The Ripple. We have all that and more on Korea 24. North Korea could launch an intercontinental ballistic missile this month, according to a top security official visiting Washington to attend the nuclear consultative group designed to strengthen the implementation of extended nuclear deterrence. Principal Deputy National Security Advisor Kim Tae-hyo said South Korea, the US and Japan will begin activating a system within the year to share warning data on North Korean missile launches in real time. For this and other major headlines of the day, we have in the studio with us Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World English News Service, Kim Ingyong, with us. Hello, Ingyong. Hello, Hijin. Now, uh, can you tell us uh, about this first story? Tensions have been escalating on uh, Korean Peninsula with, it, with the launch of a military spy satellite by North Korea last month, as well as its subsequent termination of an inter-Korean military agreement aimed at diffusing cross-border tensions. And today, a senior security official said that Pyongyang could fire an ICBM this month. Can you tell us more? 
Sure. Principal Deputy National Security Advisor Kim Tae-yo said on Thursday that North Korea could launch an ICBM sometime this month, arriving at Dallas International Airport near Washington, D.C., to attend the second meeting of the nuclear consultative group. Kim said that ballistic missiles are a consideration and extended deterrence between Seoul and Washington. He added that mounting a nuclear warhead onto a missile of any range poses a nuclear threat and raises the possibility of a nuclear attack against South Korea. He said that extended deterrence is aimed at preventing a North Korean nuclear attack and suppressing such a threat at an early stage in the event of a miscalculation by Pyongyang. He's expected to discuss joint Seoul-Washington responses to the possible ICBM launch at Friday's meeting of the NCG. As you know, NCG is a bilateral consultative body on Mm. strengthening the implementation of extended deterrence per an agreement reached during President Yoon Suk-yeol's state visit to the U.S. in April. Well, Kim also said that a system in which South Korea, the U.S. and Japan will share warning data on the North's missile launches in real time is in the final stages of completion and the system will be unveiled this year. That's right. The Pentagon also corroborated the activation of the system on Thursday. This comes after the leaders of the three nations agreed to implement the system by the end of this year in a summit at Camp David in August in an effort to enhance security coordination against Pyongyang's evolving nuclear and missile threats. And moving on to other news, the South Chungcheong Provincial Council passed a bill on Friday to abolish a student's right to ordinance. Can you put this into context for us? With 44 members present at the plenary session, 31 voted in favor and 13 against in the Conservative People Power Party-led council. Of the seven cities or provinces that have implemented a student rights ordinance, South Chungcheong became the first region to repeal it. The ordinance states that the human rights of students are fundamental and must be guaranteed to maintain dignity while protecting the rights to freedom, equality, participation and education welfare. This ordinance has been credited with eradicating corporal punishment, but also blamed for infringing on the classroom authority of educators, especially after the apparent suicide of a young teacher in southern Seoul in August. But it could take some time for the ordinance to actually be abolished, as the province's education office chief may request a reconsideration. Well, shifting to more domestic news, recent statistics found that income increased for all ages, uh, age groups, except for those in their 20s and younger. Can you explain? Statistics Korea released a report on social trends in 2023 on Friday, which included data on household income, showing that people in their 20s and younger averaged 31.14 million won, around 24,000 US dollars. That's down 7.4% compared to 2018. In contrast, income increased over the same period by 11.5% for those in their 30s, 10.8% for those in their 40s, 10.6% for those in their 50s, and 22.5% for those in their 60s or older. As a result, those in their 20s and under surpassed those in their 60s for the age group with the lowest income. I see. The same survey found that more and more young people in their 20s and 30s are wary of marriage, but are increasingly open to cohabitation. Can you tell us more? Roughly 4 in 10 of women in their 30s and 3 in 10 of women in their 20s felt it was necessary to get married, while just 5 in 10 of men in their 30s and 4 in 10 of men in their 20s found marriage necessary. This is a dramatic shift from 2008 when around 7 in 10 men in their 20s and 30s and 5 in 10 women in their 20s and 30s favored marriage. What's the reason for the resistance to marriage? The main reason cited by respondents was a lack of marriage funds. At Ah. the same time... 
positive feelings for living with a partner without tying the knot for those in their 20s and 30s increased from around 26 percent in 2015 to 41 in 2020. Meanwhile, authorities announced that over 500 COVID-19 testing facilities at public health centres in the country that have been in operation since the outbreak of the pandemic in early 2020 will close down by the year's end. Can you elaborate? The Central Disease Control Headquarters said on Friday that the facilities will be shut down on December 31st to reflect the declining demand for testing and a need to normalize infectious disease management at, at public health centers. Even after the shutdowns, free PCR testing for groups deemed at high risk of COVID-19 infections will continue to be provided at regular medical facilities. Authorities will maintain the COVID-19 crisis level at the second highest vigilance on the four-tier scale in light of the prevalence of various respiratory diseases during the winter season. Mandatory indoor mask wearing in medical facilities will also remain in place, while vaccinations and medications for those at high risk will continue to be offered free of charge. And finally, can you update us on this weekend's weather? The nation is forecast to see freezing temperatures and heavy snow this weekend. According to the Korea Meteorological Administration on Friday, a cold wave is set to grip the nation from the weekend and heavy snow is forecast to pound the western part of the nation. From Saturday to Sunday, up to 30 centimetres of snow is expected in Teju's mountainous areas and up to 20 centimetres in North Chola province. The mercury is projected to drop sharply as well. Morning lows on Saturday will stand between minus 4 and 6 degrees Celsius, while afternoon highs will stand at between minus 3 and 7 degrees. That's down more than 10 degrees from Friday and around 5 degrees lower compared to previous years. On Sunday, morning lows are set to range between minus 17 to minus 3 degrees, while afternoon highs will stand between minus 8 and 3 degrees. That's it for our news briefing. Thank you, Ngel, for bringing us these updates. Thank you. feeling lately that you've been getting less bang for your Korean won, it's not just you. Shrinkflation, where companies reduce product volume while maintaining prices, has hit many items on the store shelf, and dissatisfied customers are complaining more vocally about it. To tackle the matter, the South Korean antitrust watchdog announced that it will strengthen measures to prevent such a scheme, including making it mandatory for companies to put shrinkflation disclaimers on their products. To get some expert analysis on this issue and how the country's on-year job growth slowed down in November, we're joined in the studio by economics professor Yang Jun-sok from, Catholic, uh, from the Catholic University of Korea. Hello, Professor Yang. Hello. Hello. And uh, first off, how do you view this uh, pheno- phenomenon about, uh, of uh, shrinkflation? Okay, well, it's not new and it's natural turn of events when costs are rising, but the room to raise prices are limited, especially in Korea where government often places pressure not to increase prices. <laughs> uh, so uh, remember 15 years ago, milk used to be sold by a full liter whenever you bought a car- carton. Remember. Now it's only 900 milliliters per carton. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of this shrinkflation. Uh, the uh, shrinkflation is part of arsenal of tools that firms use to raise prices when the ability to do so is limited or when they do not want to be caught raising prices. <laughs> uh, usually 
usually they do it a lot more subtly. In the United States, you introduce other sizes, mm-hmm. uh, often at higher per unit cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, most infamous of these are single serving. Ah. So, and other tools, you introduce larger sizes, uh, but at least initially sell it at same or similar prices before, but label it on sale. Mm-hmm. And then when the sale is over, uh, you uh, raise the price uh, of those uh, newly introduced higher uh, size packages, mm-hmm. uh, but per unit price right, uh, will rise and you will get rid of the older sized products. I see. Uh, but uh, but uh, usually uh, in Korea, uh, firms uh, get caught between a rock and a hard place because they have to raise prices, but they cannot do so because of government pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some good prices are very flexible. Vegetables and gasoline, you see prices going up and down all the time. Mm-hmm. But for most processed goods, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's manufactured goods or canned foods, mm-hmm. uh, you, it's cheaper for companies to raise prices all at once. Mm. So what you see is for a long time, they will keep prices the same. Mm-hmm. But then when they cannot stand it anymore, <laughs> they will raise prices all at once. Mm-hmm. And then they will probably raise it to a level that's higher than it's absolutely necessary because they expect to keep that price for a long time. Mm. So uh, we talked in this program about ramen before. Oh, yes. Uh, but uh, ramen prices, they held steady for years. Mm-hmm. Then they raised it last year at the beginning about 5 to 10%. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were complaining that ramen prices were uh, rising too much because mm-hmm. it was raising 5 to 10% at once. Mm-hmm. But the last time that they raised prices was about 3 to 5 years ago. Mm-hmm. So if you calculated it back from then, mm-hmm. then per annual price increase actually turned out to be uh, lower than inflation rate. Ah, I see. Uh, But in cases like these, if the government tries to limit increases in prices, Mm -hmm. uh, then the companies uh, will uh, lose money. Remember, companies are here to make Make money money. and not lose it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they virtually have very little choice but to uh, engage in shrinkflation if they keep on wanting to stay in the black. Mm -hmm. And uh, you talked about the U.S. Do you uh, see it happening all over the uh, world, not just in in Korea and the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, U.S. does it very subtly, like uh, eliminating old sizes while introducing new sizes like the single serving mm-hmm. or extra large packages. Uh, and then they uh, often raise prices by saying they have a new formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they do it a lot more subtly. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can. Uh, they do that as much in Korea, partially because, well, uh, it's very hard to... Uh, expect what the government is going to do. Uh, they don't know whether they'll uh, allow it to raise prices or they'll uh, pump it, da- uh, hold it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but in France, apparently, what the government uh, and uh, some supermarkets did is to they uh, uh, force the uh, companies to label whenever you have shrink. Uh, shrinkflation, oh. uh, and, or they moved the goods to a special section where they warned consumers that the uh, prices have gone up uh, effectively be, mm-hmm. uh, by size coming down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, m- many markets, uh, supermarkets, uh, try to get around this problem by having per-unit pricing. Now, mm. it's written in tiny print, so you have to look very carefully. Mm. But if you look at uh, some of these labels, they have price per pound mm-hmm. or price per 100 uh, napkins or so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can get an idea how much uh, price really is depending on what the content actually is. Exactly. And um, many of the supermarkets nowadays, if you see it 
it says uh, how much one per 100 gram or per how much one per 100 uh, kilo. Um, so according to the Fair Trade Commission on Wednesday, businesses uh, caught engaging in such a scheme may find fines of up to 30 million won or around 23,000 US dollars up from the current 10 million won. The Environment and Food Safety Ministries will compel uh, manufacturers to label products, uh, packaging with information on volume changes and the industry ministry will expand on its list of items requiring the declaration of unit prices from the current 84. Now this was similar to what you mentioned uh, France was doing. So what's your take on the Korean measures? Are they necessary and will they be effective? Okay, well it seems that government is trying to overcompensate uh, for some of their policy mistakes uh, like raising raw milk prices and then expecting the uh, milk users uh, to keep the prices the same. Right. Uh, now, uh, if uh, you label the uh, packaging wrong, so uh, if you have a uh, milk carton that says 900 milliliters, but you only put 800 milliliters in it, mm-hmm. that's false labeling and that's illegal. Mm. You should definitely get punished for that. Of course. Uh, but the uh, Fair Trade Commission doesn't seem to be implying uh, something about that type of uh, changes, what they want to do is label mm. uh, that the uh, the, am- uh, the amount, the volume has changed. changed. And I'm not quite sure if that's a good idea. For example, for makgeolli, mm. uh, uh, they, uh, for the smaller producers, uh, they actually order all the labels that they need ah. at, uh, once or twice a year only because mm. they can, uh, that's the only way that they can get enough volume Mm-mm. to uh, get the uh, labels at a uh, fairly cheap price. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the uh, Fair Trade Commission keeps on changing the uh, label requirements, mm-hmm. then they'll have to get rid of all the uh, labels that they've already bought and mm. buy new labels, which mm. I understand is for some of these smaller makgeolli companies actually a big expense. Of course. Uh, so, uh, and you usually figure out uh, that uh, amount has fallen the first or second time you buy the product. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a careful shopper, then you look at the uh, per unit pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure if this is really something that is all that necessary mm-hmm. uh, if you label the goods properly to begin with. And then again, part of the problem is that the uh, uh, government pressure uh, is keeping trying to keep the prices uh, holding steady even though costs are rising. and then uh, it's not even clear how significant the problem is. The uh, Korean Consumer Agency surveyed about 209 products in 73 categories, mm-hmm. and they did find shrinkflation, mm-hmm. but only in 19 cases. Oh, dear. <laughs> so out of 209 products that they looked at, uh, only 19 products had this shrinkflation. That's about 9%. Mm-hmm. So do you really want to go through all this mm-hmm. uh, for something that uh, consumers can figure out fairly easily? Mm-hmm, of course. Now, before we let you go, there's one more topic I would like to touch upon. South Korea added fewer than 300,000 jobs in November as growth slowed for the first time in four months. According to Statistics Korea on Wednesday, the number of employed people stood at uh, 28,698,000 last month, up 277,000 
thousand on year, but falling below three hundred thousand for the first time in four months since August. Now, what do you think caused the slowdown in job growth? Okay, well, I think it's worth asking if the uh, continual rise of job growth uh, by more than three hundred thousand uh, was sustainable. Uh, right now, the employment rate, that's the uh, rate of people who have jobs compared to population over 15, and mm-hmm. we choose 15 because that's when you can legally get jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 63.1%. That's very close to a historic high of 63.5%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the number of uh, people who have jobs uh, were 28,698,000 people. That's very close to what we had as a historical high on May. Uh, that was 28 million. 835,000. Mm-hmm. So we were working very close to historical highs. Uh, we've been continually having historically high growth. So you have to ask yourself, is this uh, sustainable? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, eventually you're going to have more, uh, if this uh, trend uh, continues, which is not likely, you're going to have more jobs than mm-hmm. people. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, uh, but uh, there does seem to have been some special factors during the month of November, which uh, knocked down the numbers a bit. The uh, largest category for job growth for the last four or five years have been health and social services, and that's uh, usually jobs for uh, uh, retirees, mm-hmm. uh, and it's funded usually by the government. Mm-hmm. But this time, the uh, largest category for job growth was professional, scientific, and technical job services, mm-hmm. uh, service jobs, and that rose by uh, 89,000, while health and social services uh, rose by 85,000. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at the categories where you lost jobs the most, mm-hmm. uh, the largest category was really unusual that, uh, in November. It was educational services, which fell by 57,000. So what the government is saying is that uh, the, uh, they had extra teachers mm-hmm. during the pandemic, mm-hmm. but during November, a lot of their contracts ran out. Uh, mm-hmm. So apparently those, a lot of those people switched jobs mm-hmm. or did not get new jobs uh, mm-hmm. by the time November was over, mm-hmm. and that may have affected some of these numbers. Oh, uh, but uh, the, uh, uh, if you look at some of the other numbers here, there are some hopeful signs. The mm-hmm. uh, quality of jobs seems to be increasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some loss in manufacturing jobs, but we had large increases in number of contracted regular workers, mm-hmm. and we had a shift from people who worked uh, part-time uh, from 18 to 35 hours mm-hmm. to uh, full-time jobs, 36 hours or more. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like the uh, job market is still on the uptrend, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you have to remember that the demographics are playing some part as well. Mm-hmm. For people in the, uh, for uh, age groups in their 20s and 40s, the number of jobs actually fell but the number of people fell more. I so see. their employment rate has gone up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the demographics, the uh, employment numbers are becoming more complex. I see. That's all that we have time for today. That was uh, Professor Yang Jun-sok uh, from the Catholic University. Thank you, Professor, for bringing us these items. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 19.38 points, or 1.76% on Friday, to close the week at 2,563.56. The tech-heavy KOSDAQ, meanwhile, shed 2.28 points, or 0.27%, to close at 838.31. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 1.11 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,296.51. 
You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, we're joined by Daniel Che for our daily segment, Korea Trending. For this part of the show, we check out keywords and issues that have been trending online in South Korea, handpicked by the Korea 24 team. Hello, Daniel. Hello there, Hee-jun. And now let's get it straight into the first story. So escalator safety is our top topic. Concerns mm-hmm. have been raised after an escalator suddenly moved in reverse at Seoul's Line 3's Gyeongbokgung subway station last week. Mm-hmm. A similar incident occurred not too long ago, and that's just within the last two months. And we covered how Seoul Metro's uh, working to fix this issue. Could you start off us off with uh, some of the details about the last incident? Sure thing. On December 4th, an escalator operating in the station suddenly went in reverse for about eight seconds. Around 10 people were injured as a result. The clip of the accident went viral, raising alarm bells among frequent users of the public transport system. Oh, this is very concerning. So what's the main cause of such malfunctions and what are the authorities doing to ensure that it never happens again? So the Ministry of Interior and Safety conducted investigations to find the cause and concluded that the gears that control the speed and direction wore out and malfunctioned. The lifespan of these parts is 10 years, but the escalators have been in use since 2010 without changing them. The biggest problem is the escalator at Gyeongbokgung is not the only one with this issue. Seoul Metro's latest inspections show around 58% of the escalators in use have outdated key parts. Mm -hmm. They plan to replace all of them with new ones by the year 2027. Mm -hmm, I see. Now, that is on top of the measures that were mentioned on the show back in October, right? Now, can you remind us of what they were? Yes, there's been plans set to install equipment that prevents escalators from moving in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. These anti-reverse devices are already installed in around 60% of 1,833 subway escalators. The rest will have them installed by the first half of 2024. Since 73 of them are incompatible with the anti-reverse device, these escalators will be replaced entirely with new ones. Yes, public safety is paramount. Now, let's move on to the second story of the day. Many in Korea are reading about how pictures of the K-pop idol turned actress Pei Suzy, or Suzy as she is more <laughs> commonly known, wearing the Korean traditional clothing hanbok will be on display at New York's Times Square later this month. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a major project involving two organizations, I hear. Yeah, the Ministry of Culture, Sports and Tourism, and of course we have the Korea Craft and Design Foundation. Uh, they announced a global project and the chosen model back in June. Mm-hmm. One of the goals is to promote the unique beauty of traditional hanbok while also creating new designs that can appeal in Korea and abroad. Uh, it also involves six different small and mid-sized hanbok companies who won a tough bidding war to be a part of the project. Uh, on Friday, the ministry uh, announced more specific details of the project, the mm-hmm. Hanbok Way project, and unveil pictures of Susie modeling uh, as a global ambassador for Mm -hmm. the traditional outfit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, several local news outlets were provided a sneak peek as well. I saw some of the pictures (laughs) and they were quite beautiful, both Susie and the colorful handbook. And you mentioned earlier that the pictures have been seen, uh, will be seen uh, in uh, New York Times Square later this month. Uh, When exactly will that be? The photos will be displayed from 6 a.m. on Christmas Christmas Eve until 2 a.m. the following day local time. And from Boxing Day, the Korea Craft and Design Foundation's YouTube channel will be showing clips of the photos as well. How seasonally festive. <laughs> Definitely good timing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, from next Wednesday, a local fashion magazine will publish its January edition featuring Susie's handbook photos. 
The Hanbok's feature in the promotion of photos will be displayed in various fashion shows mm -hmm. and Hanbok-related events scheduled to be held next year. Okay, so next I gather you have a football story for us. Yes, in the world of football, over in the French Pro League, Paris Saint-Germain winger Yi Gang-in has won Ligue 1's Gold of the Month for November. And what's more special is the Korean speedster earned that recognition for his debut goal in Ligue 1. Do tell us more. Yes, on Friday, the Ligue 1 secretary officially announced via social media that Yi's goal was selected as the goal of the month for November. It is chosen through fan voting. Yi's goal received 59% of the votes, beating out fellow PSG teammate Osmane Dembele and Lyle Olympic Sporting Club's Thiago Santos. The goal came on November 4th in the Ligue 1's 11th round game between the French champions and Montpellier. He scorched the net with a powerful left-footed shot delivered with sniper accuracy in the 10th minute of the first half. So sharp and quick that the opposing goalkeeper couldn't even react. Ouch. <laughs> he must have been so delighted. I'm sure uh, he will never forget his first league goal after leaving Mallorca this summer. Yes, his first goal in the PSG uniform was in a UEFA Champions League Group F match against AC Milan back in October, which saw the French side win three zip. Just eight days later, he grabbed his award-winning goal. The chemistry and camaraderie he has with his new team was clearly visible, with Kylian Mbappe, a superstar, reacting very emotionally after the goal, <laughs> jumping in to give him a bear hug. Uh, in 13 matches with PSG, he has notched two goals and one assist so far and many more to come. And I'm sure many of our listeners will be out watching for the next uh, PSG match against Lille, uh, which will be in the uh, wee hours of Monday career time. And that's all we have time for today. Um, thank you for joining us today, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, we have Movie Spotlight, where we discuss some of the latest releases on streaming services or at the Korean box office. This week, joining us in the studio are film critics Jason Bershevez and Darcy Paquet. Hi, guys. Hello, Heejin. Hello. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. And uh, we're going to start off with a British film today. Yep. Um, it's calling, uh, called uh, Living. And the Korean title of which is Liebing Otoninseng, uh, starring Bill Nye. Uh, that's a remake of the famous 1952 Japanese film Ikiru. Uh, and yep. uh, it, it's also the English title of which is To Live by one of the world's uh, greatest and most influential filmmakers, Akira Kurosawa. Um, tell us uh, about this remake. Um, it garnered a lot of critical buzz. Can you start us off? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars uh, this year. Uh, Bill Nye also secured uh, a nomination for his leading performance in the film. Mm -hmm. uh, as a senior bureaucrat working in uh, London City Council in the early 1950s, that's when the, the original film uh, was released. Um, he's very, I mean, in the movie, he's very British, uh, quintessentially <laughs> British, you know, very much into a, a routine. Uh, he doesn't really enjoy life. Uh, but yeah, he's told he has terminal uh, cancer. Mm. Uh, and so he heads to a, a seaside town seeking to end his life. Uh, but uh, he meets uh, this man uh, in a kind of diner and um, 
he basically takes him out onto the the town to have fun uh, and drink and uh, get drunk. (laughs) And there he kind of discovers, he finds a a spring in his step uh, and, you know, a renewed purpose in life. So back at the office in London, he basically decides to use the the little time he has left Mm -hmm. uh, to make a project that's literally buried in bureaucracy it's kind of on his entree oh. uh, and he wants to make it a reality so mm. this is uh, turning a world war Two uh kind of bomb site into a children's playground uh and uh, he also spends time with a female assistant uh in his office but this is one of friendship mm-hmm. uh as he confides in her that his life is uh, coming to an end it's written by japanese british novelist and screenwriter mm-hmm. uh kazu ishiguru mm-hmm. uh he he wrote uh you know a number of screenplays and novels over the years and it's based on like you say uh, kiru uh, you know, Kusawa's uh, 1952 classics, directed by South African filmmaker Oliver uh, Humanus, mm-hmm. uh, who made Beauty, and it also features uh, British uh, uh, rising star Amy Lou, who's in uh, the hit series Sex Education. Ah, I see. Uh, and Darcy, have you uh, seen the original Kurosawa uh, movie? Um, what do you make, and what do you make of the remake? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the original. Like, I saw it many years ago. And <laughs> Uh, it left a huge impression on me at the time, just mm-hmm. because it, you know, in some sense, it's a very simple story. And just it's about, you know, this man who finds out that, you know, his life is quite limited. And um, and so after floundering for a bit, he finally decides to do something useful in the uh-huh. time that he has left. Uh-huh. And despite being such a sim- simple concept, you know, I mean, Kurosawa was just a master of so many different things. <laughs> um, as a he screenwriter was. and an editor and, you know, everything. But, um, but yeah, he made that film incredibly moving in oh. a way that wasn't, was never sappy or um, felt manipulative. And, yeah, so it's, you know, a film that I have recommended to students over the years and everything oh. else. Uh-huh. And so when I heard that they were remaking this film, I thought, well, oh. <laughs> is that a smart idea? Because, you know, personally, I think that the kind of films you should remake are films that are a good concept, but which didn't quite come together in the first time and if you do it better then you know you'll get credit for improving on the original Um, and it's hard to improve on you know one of the best films ever made but um, I mean they did employ some uh, pretty high scale talent in the screenwriter I mean he has a Nobel Prize so Mm -hmm. you can't Mm -hmm. get too much more acclaim than that and and he was really passionate about this film you know I came across a kind of a top 10 list of his favorite movies of all time the the screenwriter uh-huh. uh, Ishiguro uh-huh. and he yeah I mean he's great taste in movies but then he talked about you know this movie in particular and how much it meant to him and how he really wanted to uh, kind of uh, make a new film not to discourage people from watching the original but uh-huh. to you know do something a little bit different with it and set it in a different context to uh-huh. kind of honor the original film at the same time as uh-huh kind of introducing more people to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very easy to sort of get a very uh, dramatic, what with the plot line. But um, as you said, Ikiru was very matter-of-fact, very, very dry. Um, uh, what about this remake, Jason? Uh, you're from Brit- Britain. Yeah, I am, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did it resonate with you? <laughs> Um, yes, it did. Uh, mm. It's it's very British. I mean, you know, leading character, of course, is you know he comes across as a very conservative man, mm. um, and um, 
Yeah, I mean, I just love the way the film kind of, I mean, it slowly kind of builds up to this kind of climax at the end of the film, mm. which is incredibly moving. Um, and, I mean, Britain does subtlety quite well. And I think that's very much true of this film. Mm. It is really subtle. It's not, it's not, I mean, it's quite different to a Korean film mm. where, you know, you have these, these kind of moments of just, yeah, some would argue that they're very sentimental. Some would argue that, you know, they're just, they're just very, you know, they're very moving and mm-hmm. uh, effective. Uh, this, on the other hand, it just slowly gets to that point at the end of the film where mm. it is really quite profound. Mm. Um, and I think it, you know, explores life, death, happiness, purpose in life. Uh, and I think that will resonate with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, it's quite, I love the way they put the kind of the archive footage as well from mm-hmm. the 1950s. Uh, and then they kind of, obviously they shot the film, you know, uh, in London and in the UK. So um, the way they kind of bring that together is also, I thought, quite, it was a good idea. It could have come across as quite jarring but it didn't mm-hmm. uh, and, and of course the performances of the film Bill Nye is just he's you know he's just he's such a he, he has such a presence on screen mm-hmm. um, and he, he, he's so charming mm. I actually I actually screened a film to my students recently called About Time which also stars Ooh. Bill Nye yes about, <laughs> I love that and film he, and he's terminally sick as well um, and it's a very different film uh, this is much better but mm-hmm. uh, living but but still, it's interesting to see how, you know, he, he, he's able to kind of embody these kind of different sides of the persona. Again, it's not, I mean, it's, it's subtle. He, he's able to carry these, these nuances mm-hmm. uh, in ways that I think perhaps other actors can't. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, really, um, yeah, very impressive film. Mm, interesting. Um, what do you think of this, uh, this approach? As I mentioned, it's very dry. Um, and given the theme of death, and it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's opening at the time uh, in Christmas. Um, what do you make of this uh, film's approach? Uh, will it connect with the Korean audience? What do you think, Darcy? Well, it's funny because a film like this, it's a bit of a hard sell, like when you describe <laughs> it. Like it. It doesn't sound like a fun time. But, um, I mean, there's a bit of an irony about films that tackle this topic because I think that, you know, if you make a film about death and then you, you really focus on the the drama of it and the melodrama of it and kind of the clock ticking away and I mean all those aspects then I mean you can create a dramatic story but in a way stories like this are more effective than mm. I think that you kind of focus on something else and you know within Korean cinema there's a movie Christmas in August from 1998 mm. by Ho Jun Ho yes. uh, where you also have a character who kind of knows that he's not going to live much longer uh, and yet that isn't the main thing that the plot focuses on. Mm. And, you know, that film succeeded in a similar way to that this film succeeds. You know, it uh, kind of slowly builds up over the course of the film. Uh, you start to feel a real attachment for the characters. Um, I guess the difference with Living is it also has this uh, message as well mm-hmm. about uh, kind of, you know, what's meaningful in life. And mm-hmm. uh, as we live our lives, we tend to focus on things that aren't so important. And mm-hmm. So the film kind of reminds you mm-hmm. that, you know, you should kind of stop and think, <laughs> prioritize. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, the, um, I mean, there are very kind of few films that I think really have a, an impact on audiences in terms of, you know, the way that they think about their life and priorities. And, you know, I don't know if it's being overly optimistic to say that 
you know, some films can, but if any film can, then it's it's movies like Ikiru mm-hmm. and and Living as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I went to, well, the screening. I went to actually. There's quite a few people in there, and mm-hmm. I noticed that one of the screenings in Seoul was, was you know pretty much sold out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's it's not screening on that many screens. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> one has uh, to, and, and it's like one screening a day. Uh, <laughs> but clearly, there are people you know, quite keen to to watch the film. Mm. I can see why. Yes. I'll definitely look out for it. Uh, and moving on to the next movie that we have, um, it's Kore- a Korean independent film called Rubiner, the uh, Ripple, uh, that premiered at the Busan Film Festival last year. Now, Darcy, this went on uh, release last week? That's right. Uh, I mean, we've reached a time of the year that uh, everybody's kind of waiting for Christmas. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to open this week uh, because we have... You know, we have the big film in theaters already, um, you know, Sorebom, mm-hmm. uh, 12, 12 the day. And then we have big films coming up for Christmas. Um, yeah, so we decided to focus on this film that um, it's not particularly famous. Mm. Uh, most people won't have heard of it, but um, yeah, it's quite good, I think. It, you know, it focuses on these two central characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a woman played by Kim Jae-young who lost her granddaughter, in a rafting accident. Mm. And, you know, the, the details of what happened are all really vague and the police haven't really been able to shed light on it. And, you know, we see her going out uh, pretty much every day into the river with a metal detector trying to find some some clues about it. But uh, but clearly she's just, you know, completely broken over this mm-hmm. incident. Um, there's also a girl who was best friends with the, the girl who passed away. Mm. Um you know, she was friends with the girl, and then uh, her grandmother is friends with mm-hmm. the girl's grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, this girl's grandmother uh, passes away. And so we have two people whose lives were upended by this accident. Mm. And each of them are kind of left alone. And, um, you know, it's not a simple sort of thing where they they move in together and then find solace in each other, and mm. things just kind of develop smoothly at all. Um it's more complicated because you know they're different characters have alcohol issues they're um you know the girls everybody's struggling with some level of guilt as well mm-hmm. and so as we're watching the film we start to slowly figure out what it is that they feel guilty about and you know details about what happened in the past mm-hmm. um but yeah and so the film it's not really linear in structure we um you know have a lot of flashbacks that fill us in on the on this accident, but the director's name is Im Sing Hyun. Mm-hmm. It's his second film. He made a movie called Homeless a few years ago that mm-hmm. was also pretty mm-hmm. well received. Mm-hmm. And Jason, I understand that you saw this film in Busan last year. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, we were discussing what films to do, and uh, and uh, I started watching. I was like, "Oh, I've seen this movie." <laughs> <laughs> Jason watches too many films. <laughs> uh, so. Um, yeah, I mean, when I watched it the first time in Busan, I felt a bit conflicted because, uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back and forth and um, uh, I didn't really know what to make of it at first. And I knew it was it was, it was a film definitely, uh, you know, a film worthy of attention, uh, but it didn't kind of uh, wow me in, on the first viewing. But I decided to go back to it um, and uh, I think I feel less conflicted on the second viewing. Mm. Uh, the performances are really good. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's 
it, it is quite serious and dour and morbid, as <laughs> many Korean films are, <laughs> Korean indie movies are. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does. It it did stay with me actually mm-hmm. uh, the second time uh, because yeah, you do have these kind of two characters, and they're also from different generations as well. And we see mm. more and more of that in Korean films, kind of older characters, kind of coming together with younger characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it deals with uh, alcohol addiction. Uh, it deals with grief and uh, guilt and uh, and death as well. <laughs> as well, it's, 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 it's a theme that we have uh, in the film running, running theme this year, this week rather. Um, and yeah, I mean, it 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 does it does hit you actually. Mm. It hit me in a way, mm-hmm. uh, actually, in a way that I wasn't really kind of expecting on a second viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think what I was comparing both films. I think when it comes to death, Koreans are more kind of that they're happy to talk about it in ways mm. I think British people are not. <laughs> you know, uh, death is a very individual thing. Everyone deals with it their own way. Whereas in Korea, it's quite. Um, I guess it's more it's more in the public domain mm-hmm. and more open. Yeah. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we see so many of these films dealing with, with death. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. So that's it for Movie Spotlight. Uh, lastly, Jason, uh, thank you for bringing us these uh, movies this week. And we'll see you again. Yeah, take care. Okay, have a good day. Truth is, I am Iron Man. <laughs> Hongyong Korea, this is Bob Layton, co-creator of Iron Man. You are listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. Now it's time for our last segment of the week, Next Week from Seoul, where we take a look at some of the stories we're expecting in the week ahead. We have staff editor Richard Larkin joining us in the studio to run them with us. Welcome, Richard. Hello, good to see you. Now, what's the first thing we should look out for? Well, a decision on the pretrial detention warrant for Song Young-gil, the former leader of the main opposition Democratic Party, Mm -hmm. is expected to be made by a Seoul court as early as Monday. Mm. The warrant is related to allegations of bribery aimed at securing leadership victory at the 2021 party convention. Mm -hmm. And the hearing is set to start at 10 a.m. with senior judge Yu Chang-hoon presiding. Mm-hmm, I see. Prosecutors are investigating allegations that Song was involved in the distribution of 66.5 million won, which is approximately 51,000 US dollars, mm-hmm. to DP lawmakers and regional party heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also suspected of establishing an illegal political fund totaling mm-hmm. 763 million won mm-hmm. through an external sponsor group. Mm-hmm. 40 million won of that total is believed to have been given as bribes from Park Yong-ha, the former head of the Yosu Chamber of Commerce and Industry, in exchange for a business favour. Yeah, we'll be looking out for that decision by the courts. What's the next thing we should uh, look out for? Well, the ruling People Power Party and the main opposition Democratic Party have agreed to conduct a plenary session on Wednesday for the purpose of voting on the state budget bill for the upcoming year. Mm. Both sides are aiming to conclude negotiations swiftly and are intending to pass the budget bill during the session. However, conflicts between the parties could arise as they hold firm on some budget items, and the main opposition Democratic Party intends to push forward with its own bill Mm -hmm. if differences cannot be reconciled with the ruling People Power Party. 
If the bill is not passed, then the sessions on the 28th of this month and 9th of January could include the bill's process as well as other unresolved issues. And we'll keep a close eye on developments at the National Assembly. What's the last thing we should look out for? Well, next week, hundreds of Korean athletes are heading to the Marine Corps to prepare for the Paris Olympics, which is being held next summer. From Monday to Wednesday, the One Team Korea Camp will be held at the 1st Marine Division in Pohang, North Gyeongsang Province. Around 400 athletes will participate, including swimmer Hwang Sonu and track and field star Wu Sang Hyuk. The details of the activities the athletes will take part in is still being discussed. Uh-huh. The Korea Sports Council explained that this camp is to help Korea bounce back from its sluggish performance at the Tokyo Olympics. Korea uh-huh. finished 16th at the competition, which is actually its worst performance since the Montreal Olympics in 1976. Uh-huh. I see. The hope is that uh, the training can improve uh, mental strength through physical training while instilling the spirit of challenge, unity, sincerity and honour. It will be interesting to see if this can help Korea grab a top 10 finish at the upcoming Olympics. Indeed, it's military drills (laughs) in the works. Thank you, Richard, for bringing us these stories. Thank you. Have a nice weekend. Well, that brings us to the end of today's edition of Korea 24. We'll be back next week to bring you the latest on Korea. I've been your host, Kui Jin, and Kwon Jang-ho will be back in the driver's seat next week to bring you news from around the peninsula. Till then, have a good weekend. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow when you're driving in snowy conditions. On days with heavy snowfall, take extra caution on sloping lanes as you could easily lose control of your vehicle. On icy roads, refrain from speeding as slippery road conditions make it harder to steer or stop the wheels. Ensure you keep a wider distance with the car ahead of you as it takes longer to slow down. Drivers are also advised to use chains and other equipment to keep their tyres from slipping. If you don't have the proper equipment, spray sand or soil on the tyres and start off in second gear. When travelling to areas with extreme snowfall, make sure you check the road and traffic conditions before setting off. When stranded in heavy snow, call 119 for assistance. KBS World Radio.